What's going on, everyone? This is George Khalife. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I know I've been away for a while. Um, was moving to Chicago recently, so if anyone was in the process of moving, you guys can uh, resonate with me. But, you know, it's a bit of a, a challenge, but everything's good now. And I'm here with a good friend, Ralph Kiso, who's a fellow Lebanese uh, adventurer, I would say, recently climbed Mount Everest. I saw this, I think, through a mutual friend. Uh, Instagram post and I'm like I gotta get this guy on here and and learn more about your story um, kind of the process and all that good stuff it's always cool to see you know Lebanese uh, individuals aspiring doing really uh, interesting things so thanks all for doing this man well hi hi George thank you for the warm welcome and thanks for having me on the show it's uh, really nice of you my pleasure man so, so when did this all start like when when did this quest to, to climb mountains and do crazy shit start for you well, I was, I think, in 2014, I was uh, into CrossFit at that time. And I was at the gym. Uh, a friend of mine mentioned that he's going to Kilimanjaro. It's uh, it's one of the, I think, the beginner's mountain for the seven summits. Because okay. it's an easy mountain. And it's basically more of a hike. Uh, so he said, why don't you join me? We're going like a group of Lebanese friends over there. It's like a seven-day trip. So I thought about it, and I didn't have anything at that time. And I said, let's let's try it since it's a new country and uh, it's a new adventure. I haven't done any mountaineering before. So, and okay. Kilimanjaro is considered like a, as I said before, it's like a one-on-one for mountaineering. There's no uh, crampons, there's no ice axe, there's nothing. Just your mountaineering boots and some uh, heavy layers, and you're ready to go. So it was a nice trip, actually, and uh, it's a seven days uh, trip. You reach the summit, uh, and you get to see Tanzania. We did some uh, safari touring, and uh, we got to see the beach in Zanzibar. So I really enjoyed it. And, you know, when you reach the summit, in uh, one, one, the first time you reach the summit, so it's like one mountain after the other, it uh, mm. draws you to it. So I thought to myself, I really, you know, I really enjoyed the trip, the experience, the adrenaline rush at the summit. You know, the fatigue, uh, the mud, altitude sickness. So I said, uh, let's try another mountain. Why not? So one, one after the other. That's how it, the idea came up to me. And then I thought to myself, let's do the seven summits. And did you, did, like when you were doing uh, Kilimanjaro first, like did you train specifically for this or did you just do a bit of CrossFit? Like you were in good shape? Exactly. I was uh, doing CrossFit and some hiking during the weekends and a bit of running, but like, basic normal training nothing major so it was like my daily routine i didn't add anything to it mm, okay and when you i guess when you when you climb the first mountain you're like all right this is super cool i get the adrenaline i want to do this more often how did you then figure out what to do after that like to prepare for the seven summits yeah so i want to talk a bit about kilimanjaro it's uh, yeah. i would consider it it's like a five-star hiking because over there you got the the guides Mm-hmm. And the porters, they carry like most of the stuff for you. So you just have your day backpack, uh, backpack on your on your back. And they even cook like do popcorns in the evenings, uh, uh, boiled potatoes, French fries. So it's like a five star day. View. Yeah, we just enjoy <laughs> the view on the way. Basically, exactly. they do all the hard work. <laughs> they, they get the water, they boil it for you. So it's kind of enjoying. But the, this all is different on the other mountains. So when I moved to Elbrus, it's like more into snow and crampons and ice axe and cold weather. 
Mm. But uh, all these services are still available. That's uh, that's the nice part of mountaineering. But if you want to go into like uh, more advanced stuff, like when I moved to Everest, then we're going to talk about it later. It's uh, it's more into technical part, more into, uh, let's say, dan- danger and uh, high risk. Mm. So yes. I was, yeah, regarding your question, and uh, when I did the first mountain, I considered, so I thought about the, it's well known, the challenge is called the Seven Summits. So it's basically the highest uh, point on earth in every continent. Okay. And uh, that's, I started doing Kilimanjaro. I ticked it off the, the checklist. Then Elbrus came, uh, I think, two years after Kilimanjaro. I think it was 2016, maybe. Okay. Uh, also with a group of Lebanese friends. Uh, I want to say something. When, when I used to travel and do mountains, I always prefer to do them with a group of friends you know. Because, you know, you live on the mountain. You spend most of your time... You don't spend most of your time climbing. You spend it most of the time resting and like uh, in your tent. So it's nice to have like a group of friends you know from before. Mm. I wouldn't say like you're not gonna meet new people. You're gonna enjoy it. It's it's a different culture. It's nice. But when you know people from your home, it's it's kind of interesting because it reminds you of home. It reminds you of the comfort of home. Because when we spent like 60 days on Everest, it was like 50 days in the base camp actually. Uh, sleeping in a tent so when i had like close friends from home from lebanon you know you joke the same jokes um, you know uh, have the same culture it's re- it really helps you like uh, just feel more comfortable in this uh, in uh, in this like uh, area right especially mentally i mean like uh, i mean i'm assuming you know a mountain like everest which we'll get to in a bit I mean, that, that's a feat by itself but a lot of that is mental right when you're doing this for like 60 days you're not really with like close friends, eating comfortable food, sleeping on a bed, it, that catches up to you. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's basically 70% mental and 30% physical for Everest. Mm. Uh, I mean, mountaineering uh, I mean, requires a lot of mental fitness, more than physical fitness. Uh, and regarding the food, you mentioned the food. I mean, in Everest, we really had nice food. I wouldn't say it wasn't a five-star thing, but in base camp, it was a five-star thing. But when we moved, once we moved from base camp up to the higher camps, like camp one, camp two, camp three, and four, uh, we used to have like we sometimes we had we had a cook uh, a tent for the cooks, and we had a bathroom. We could take showers in base camp in in Everest. We even had burgers. Like they could do burgers okay. in base camp. It was awesome. That but as I said, bad. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had Wi-Fi connection. It was nice. I mean, it's your new house. You spend like uh, 50 days in base camp on Everest. But once you move up to higher camps, you carry your own food. You carry. I mean, we, we used to eat MREs, uh, meals ready ready to eat, like the ones they have in the army. So mm-hmm. we used to carry them, and then we used to cook them just with boiling water. Okay, I see. So, so after you t- walk me through, like you finished Kalimajara, which was the first summit. Then you did. Yeah. Uh, and then right. there was a group of friends I got connected to. They do like regular uh, mountaineering trips in Lebanon. It's called uh, Sports for Life. Okay. Uh, and he was the guy who took me to Kilimanjaro, actually. He was the guy who organizing the trip to Kilimanjaro. So he emailed me and he said, hey, listen, Ralph, we're doing another trip to uh, Elbrus if you're interested. And I said, why not? Since like your group of friends and Lebanese friends and I enjoyed my last trip with you guys, uh, I'll try it. And the same thing happened with the with the Karstens, and uh, afterwards went to the Aconcagua and the last one Denali before Everest. Uh, so it was through this, uh, basically through this guy, in, uh, which he owns the company Sports for Life, and he used to organize the. He was like our Lebanese guide, if you want to say. 
Wow. Yeah. And honestly, as you know, it's like it's been since 2006, I think, the first Lebanese guy who summited Mount Everest, Maxim Shaya. Yeah. So it's been like 13 years, I guess. No one, no Lebanese guy, no Lebanese person has summited uh, or tried climbing Everest. And this year, 2019, uh, six uh, Lebanese people summited Everest, which was a really good achievement, a really nice one for the country. And uh, what's really nice about it is that. Uh, not the entire six like organized the the expedition together you know we were mm -hmm. like whoa we, are you going to go to everest this year and then we started hearing news like this guy is going and this girl is going and eventually we met in everest base camp and each one of us had a different expedition company so it was really, really nice yeah yeah it was really uh, nice and these are all nice to see. mountaineers but we've done we've seen each other before we've done some okay. few mountains together but yeah not all of us Thanks. I mean, if you're doing Everest, you're not going to be, it's, gonna, it's not going to be your first mountain. No, of course. Like, so that was the third one for you? Everest was my fifth one. Fifth one. So what sorry, did you do sorry, sorry, my sixth one. I still had, I did the remaining five before Everest and I still had, currently I still have Mount Vincent, which is in Antarctica. I'm still postponing it maybe next December because usually you climb Vincent in December or November, end of the year. Okay. It's the best weather for uh, Vincent. Uh, this year, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do it. I was looking for a sponsor and I wasn't able to do it. So I'm hoping next year I would be able to find a sponsor. It's oh, my last like, uh, summit. Like Denali as well? I did Denali. I did uh, Aconcagua in South, of, uh, South America. Okay. Uh, I did as well, uh, I told you, Karstens and uh, Kilimanjaro and Elbrus. Wow. So, yeah. How do you, like, how do you plan for these things? I mean, I'm assuming, like, is this... Has this become your full-time thing? Like, do you get sponsors? How, how do you turn this into, like, a 60-day expedition where you can just leave and really consume yourself there? Yeah, I would say, like, for the five previous, for the, let's say, for the, yeah, five previous mountains, it was a bit easy because, you know, the duration of the trip wouldn't, like, take more than 20 days. Okay. It would still be, like, reasonable. But for Everest, it was, like, two months. I stayed... 60 days on the mountain and I was glad I mean I have a I work uh, in a family business so I was able to take right. like, uh, some days off honestly this helped me a lot to to have some free time what were you yeah. feeling like when you when you set on doing because I'm assuming like the other five summits were amazing and everything like that but wouldn't you say that Everest was the hardest one uh it was the longest one yeah but uh, the hardest one I wouldn't say it was, you should define the hardest, you mean more technical, more, like in what sense would you say hardest one? Because there's different, I don't know, like how would you define, I mean, when you're climbing a mountain, what, what, what do you deem as hard for yourself? Like, is it, the... well, you have to, you have to look at the altitude, you have to look on the weather conditions, you have to look on the mountain conditions, on the, on the, how technical it is, mm -hmm. and how, how long it is the expedition. Like, like, for example, the, in the one I did in Carson, it wasn't, uh, the height was like around 4,000 meters. I don't know how much uh, it's in feet. Uh, so it's one of the lowest mountains, but it was the most technical mountain I've ever done. It's even more technical than Everest. It's considered uh, yeah. one of the most technical mountains of the seven summits. Because it's all rock climbing and uh, ropes and uh, zoomars and carabiners and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But Everest, I would say, was more of a mental challenge, uh, you know, because it's a 60 days living in a tent, uh, harsh conditions, and uh, you need to be mentally fit. Uh, you see dead bodies on the way, um, you prepare for it for like 
six months, seven months in advance, like uh, per, uh, training specific for Everest. You push your body, you push your mind. So, How do you do that? Like, what was the process like for you? I mean, mentally, like, what would you, would you meditate? Like, what would you... Yeah, as I told you before, like for mental mental thing, I was I was just happy to see some people around me. Uh, like they they gave me the sense of home, of mm. comfort. Uh, having Wi-Fi, you know, base camp also helped. Like talking to your relatives, talking to your parents, uh, checking uh, che- uh, they checking you uh, checking uh, on them. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice thing. Made you more comfortable. Uh, getting uh, to know new people on the expedition, making friends, uh, reading books, uh, all of this helped mentally. For the physical part, I was training like twice a day for Everest. So okay. I used to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, do some running, then shower, head back to work, and then come back in the evening, do some gym, weightlifting. Uh, I also cycled long distances, like four or five hours during the weekends, uh, some hikes definitely, uh, did some trail run as well uh so yeah i was like training honestly seven days a week without rest uh, five of them twice a day for about two three months uh harsh training honestly uh when i started training for everest i wasn't in a bad shape so i was like in a good physical uh, fitness and i tuned it up for everest you know okay I see. And, so, and, and so. you said you did that for like three months or like forever? Was it six months? Three no, months? no. I was, I mean, since 2013, I was like in this good physical condition, as I said before. But like for Everest training, for a specific training for Everest, mm. I did it for like three months, specifically three months in advance. Okay. I'm assuming you have to hike a lot too. Like you, you have Not to do a lot of Honestly, Honestly, um, I was training, you know, I was running uphill. Running uphill helped a lot. Uh, and cycling uphill helped a lot. So doing oh, exercising really uphill too. really helps. Yeah, that's tough. This man. is a really nice tip, by the way, for someone who wants to do Everest. <laughs> I mean, uphill. hiking, yeah, yeah, training uphill, doing stairs, doing uh, running uphill on asphalt, like cycling uphill with weight. It's, so it's really good for Everest. I was honestly, I didn't feel any like deficit in the fitness uh, on Everest. Uh-huh. It's just like you're going to be mentally ready. If you're mentally ready, then you're going to be okay. Did you feel well prepared like when you were there? Or did anything shock you? Did anything like really, really stand out? And you're like, oh, shit, I'm not even ready for this. Or, Well, I wouldn't say I'm not ready for this. But there's like this thing that happened on between uh, Camp 4 and the summit, honestly. We were heading to... No, I mean, sorry, between Camp 3 and Camp 4. We mm. were heading to Camp 4 that day. And then there was like a traffic on the rope. So we had to wait a lot, but it was a good thing we had a good weather on this day. And like after waiting for a few hours, I asked the Sherpa, uh, was like, "What's going on?" And then he said, "Did you see the traffic over there?" And I was like, "Okay." And he said, "There's a dead body over there, and then everybody's like waiting just to cross over it." So wow. when I reached the dead body, and I was like, "Whoa, that's a climber," and you know, but it's it's really you know because. I've done some research on Everest, you know, you just, you just don't buy your ticket and you, you go on Everest. You do some research before, you see some YouTube videos, you read articles, you don't, you, so you know what's going to happen. You, you see that bodies, you knew, you knew before you are going to see that bodies on Everest. So, mm. but seeing it live, you know, it's a different feeling. But mm. it's just, you need to focus on your goal. What, what was your biggest goal? Like when you, when you set out to, to climb Everest and I'm going to share this picture that I'm looking at right now on my iPad as we speak, yeah. which is of you wearing a shit ton of uh, like layers, basically. So you look, you look half, half warm, I would say, but overly excited with a mask covering your face and you're yeah. holding the Lebanese flag. Like, what do you feel when you, when you reach the top? 
of the summit. Yeah, I would like to. I would love to talk about the subject, especially about my summit at uh, when I reached the summit, because uh, honestly, I was expecting this adrenaline rush, this excitement, this happiness. Um, you know, you reach your finish line. I would say halfway there, because you need to go mm. down, back down. But honestly, I didn't have this uh, joy of happiness of reaching the summit. I'll tell you why. Because I wow. was reaching the summit. I actually I was. Of the early people reaching the summit, I reached around 4:30 a.m. from my team. So the sun was barely rising, and there was uh, it was it was super cold. Uh, and what honestly, was the white you know, like when you when so you reached the it was like uh, you can see the globe, how the Earth is sphere a bit, how it's round. Yeah, yeah. From above, so it was a really nice view, and the sh the sun was shining a bit, so mm. it was really awesome. And you can see like the Tibet uh, on the right side and you're on Nepal. It's like you're on the border. It was super awesome. It's a nice thing. How cold was uh, it? What was it? Was, uh, yeah, I was, I was telling you about the experience. So, you know, you're near the summit. You're going to take off the gloves. You, you need to you take some videos, pictures. You've um, planned the video for this uh, for your friend and your parents. And you want to take a picture of the summit. So I took my gloves and I stayed in the liners because, you know, I had my iPhone and uh, the iPhone screen needs to be, uh, had a certain, uh, you need to use the liners and the gloves won't take pictures with them. So it was like five minutes I was taking pictures and then suddenly I felt with the frostbite. And later on, I couldn't feel like my fingers uh, on the right side. And I started like to think, whoa, this is something serious because, uh, you know, before you climb to the summit, they do some presentations telling you about frostbite. Some people got uh, severe frostbite and you need to be careful for this. So once I had this feeling of uh, numbness in my fingers and I couldn't feel anything, honestly, and it was like just for five minutes taking out the gloves just to take some few photos and head back down. Mm. And it's, the pain started to hit and it was like as if someone's uh, burning your fingers that, uh, fingers, that feeling. So yeah. instead of feeling this, you know, this joy and happiness of reaching the summit, I was like worried about my fingers, honestly. <laughs> yeah, me Cause, also. Because I started feeling them with my other hand and I couldn't feel anything. So it's, whoa, I don't want to lose my fingers at this time, honestly. So I was telling my Sherpa, hey, since we took just a few pictures, uh, let's start thinking of going down. And honestly, on this day, on this year in 2019, I don't know if you heard uh, the news, that there was a lot of traffic on Everest because uh, the summit window was only for two days. I think it was May 22nd and May 23rd. And so, what do you mean? Yeah, so, what, what does that mean? So the summit window, it's basically when the ropes are cleared, they're fixed for the summit, the, usually before the season. The Sherpas, they fix the rope to the summit. They go before the climbers and okay. they make sure that the ropes are fixed up to the summit. Once this is done, we wait for the summit window. So the summit window, it's a good weather condition for the climbers to reach the summit. And you don't want to go up there with the winds, very high winds and like storm coming up to you, right? Right. So at that time, it was like around May 22nd, 23rd. We had the green lights. Okay, guys, the ropes are fixed and the summit is good. This is our summit window. And after the 23rd, the winds are going to pick up. So we should do it in these two days. And imagine uh, like 300 climbers on Everest this year. And each climber has a Sherpa, like one-on-one -on -one guide. This okay. is uh, mandatory on Everest. So he's your shadow. The Sherpa, he's your shadow. He's your guide. So Did there's 600 climbers. person as well, like someone who lives in the area, knows it in and out. Yeah, that's uh, the Sherpa. They're Nepalese. They're, I mean, I wouldn't, I would say that without the Sherpas, no one would reach the summit. 
a huge, mm-hmm. huge uh, thanks to the Sherpas for what they're doing, for the things they do. They risk their lives for you. You know, they they barely met you. They they climb the icefall with you. They carry your backpack. They help you with the water if you need anything. If you get in danger, so I mean, I would I would I would always say like without the Sherpas, we wouldn't reach the summit of Everest. Uh, so yeah, I was telling him f- to my Sherpa, okay, his name was Sonam, and I was like, Sonam, let's start heading down because I don't want to lose my fingers. And honestly, he, he helped me like going down with the ropes and the Jumar, and there was a lot of traffic. I I remember waiting on the Hillary step, the famous Hillary step on the way down, because right. people were rushing all the way up. They want to reach the summit, and there's only one line because there's no line for going up and line for going down. So one line to go up and down. So imagine the traffic, and I don't know if you see the picture on my Instagram account, uh, the traffic on the line all the way from the Hillier step to the summit. Mm. Uh, so I waited like around one hour and a half thinking about my fingers, and I want to just go down, warm them up, remove the gloves, check the condition of my fingers. So yeah, that was the feeling on the summit. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> was different, I would say. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, actually. Like that... So that ladder that you're taking up, uh, I'll share this with with everybody listening. But so you're basically taking a ladder up. Is that that's the one to the step that you're talking about? No, the the the, the ladder was I think in the ice fall because uh, used the ladders in the ice fall. It's the ice fall is one of the most uh, dangerous part on Everest. It's between base camp and camp one, uh, okay. and it's uh, it's always changing. And the Sherpas, there's they're called the ice fall doctors. So they work on a regular uh, basis. They try to put the ladders, fix the la- fix the ropes, because uh, there's uh, crevasses, there's uh, movement of the ice. Mm. So it's very dangerous. And there's uh, uh, like avalanches over there. So the ladders were used in the ice fold. But on the summit, uh, I don't know. I'll try to send you later on the picture. It's, uh, it's just a rope all the way up to the summit. And it's, uh, it's like, a, I would say... One person can pass by. There's Tibet side on your right and Nepal on your left side. And mm. people were pushing each other, you know. They want to just reach the summit. No one cares about the safety anymore. And you're always clipped to the rope. So imagine people going up and down and you have to be clipped on the rope. Wow. That's crazy, man. I feel like you have to be super focused, too. Like there's no room for detractions. There's no room for error really right like when you're on exactly it? one mistake and one slip i mean once i reached back to camp four they our team they were discussing that one guy died on the, on the way back and he reached the summit he messaged his wife or girlfriend i can't remember he told her like uh, he used the satellite phone uh mm. he told her i'm at the summit summit of everest and then i'm i'm going i'm heading back down and once he was uh, he's on his way down before the Hillary step he slipped i don't know he wasn't unclipped to oh. the rope so his safety was off so he slipped and he disappeared and i don't think they recovered his body so mm. yeah like uh, you should be you're you're you should be very careful like any small detail any small mistake could co- cost you a life i gotta ask you this because we both share lebanese uh, uh you know parents who to the canadian or the american where we call them immigrants um who also don't really enjoy their kids wanting to climb everest and doing these crazy things I would assume that your parents and now your fiance, do they ever have like challenges with you being ambitiously uh, set on on doing these kinds of things? Like, do you have to really, really sell them on? Listen, like, I really want to do this. Do they ever push back? 
I mean, I've got all the support from my family and friends, honestly, because uh, they know I enjoy it and it's uh, something I love to do. Also, it's uh, something uh, very, um, I would say, uh, it's very nice to do for your country. Raise the Lebanese flag on the summit of Everest. Uh, so it's always supported from the family. It's nice to have the support and the uh, help of the family in in every every aspect, in the trainings, in the uh, even in the materialistic part. Mm-hmm. And even in the family business, as I discussed, like the support of my father and my family, just okay, all the time they gave me that I can leave work and do the do ever 60 days. What, what is the investment like? Like, if you don't mind me asking, in terms of... You know, like, I mean, it's online. Everyone know you can find it online for Everest. Well, honestly, I started, for as I said, for Kilimanjaro with the investment of like 1K, 2K, $2,000. Is this entire, for, the, that's for, the, for Kilimanjaro. That's for the like I was saying for the seven days beginners uh, mountain, and okay. honestly, it uh, jumped to 10k for Denali, and then moved on for Everest for 45 thousand dollars, and that's just for the yeah. expedition company, because you know you're spending uh, 60 days on the mountain. They're providing the food, they're providing your safety, they're providing the Sherpa, they're providing the tents. Uh, mm. The permit alone for ne- on the Nepalese side is gonna is costing you eleven thousand dollars. That's included in the expedition cost. You need a permit, like to, to actually climb. Yeah, the, the, okay. uh, for every climber, you should have a permit from the government to climb Mount Everest. I it's see. costing eleven thousand dollars from Nepal, and I think now it's gonna cost eighteen thousand for two thousand twenty from the Chinese side because they wow. increase it ap- apparently just to minimize to decrease the number of climbers. Because uh, every year there's a lot of issue of the traffic on Everest and the death that happened from the traffic. So mm. this, I think in 2020, they're trying to increase the permit cost to 20 or 18K. I'm not sure about the exact uh, amount. Mm-hmm. So yeah, $45,000. And uh, that's the amount we paid. Uh, and I traveled with the International Mountain Guys. It's an American company. Uh, it was a really nice uh, and uh, safe company. I would recommend it, honestly. Even I'm doing it like a marketing for them, they would deserve it. And you need to pay for the insurance plan, uh, for the tickets, uh, for the like uh, the traveling ticket, in addition to your uh, equipment cost. Because, you know, for Everest, you can have uh, specific equipments. As you see, the suit, mm-hmm. the 8,000 their suit, your 8,000 their boots, your... Uh, uh, different uh, mountain cl- climbing uh, ropes and uh, carabiners. So yeah, a different uh, budget for Everest. Do you ever like when when people? I know that you like. I, I guess if I'm trying to understand correctly, like the the reason why you love doing it, much like when I went skydiving, for example, not obviously as as um, as risk bearing maybe as climbing Everest, but every time people who would never do that basically they'd be like, why would you ever do that? Like why would you throw your self from a plane and for me it's like just one the feeling for you i think it's more than just the feeling of adventure going through the process but i think it means a lot to you for your country right like you sort of connect the two together it's a mixture it's a mixture of both i would say why would you run a marathon why would you do this race why would you like um, compete it's just like pushing your body you know uh, achieving something for your country uh, as you said also for the for the feeling of adrenaline for the fun of it it's a mix of all these uh, stuff. It's your hobby. It's what you like to do. Because honestly, I, I cannot explain it to you, but once you reach the summit of any mountain you try, 
it's an amazing feeling. I would advise anyone just to try to summit like one of the seven summits. At least try Kilimanjaro. And you, you'll see what I'm talking about. What you would recommend? Like if someone's listening to this, they've never climbed any mountain like myself. I would say like take your girlfriend, take your, uh, take your wife and go to Kilimanjaro. It's a really nice trip. Mm-hmm. It uh, doesn't require any skills at all. Just a normal hike. And as I said before, uh, heavy jackets. And maybe you can do it with the ski equipment, honestly, ski jackets. Mm-hmm. And try it. You'll see a new country. You know what I liked about the climbing the seven summits. Also, it's I haven't. I would never like consider visit visiting Alaska in my life or like Russia maybe. Right. So climbing the seven summits just made me discover new countries, new cultures, how people would uh, live. It's a nice experience, honestly. That's that's a good uh, that's a good point. Actually, my girlfriend's parents climbed uh, Kilimanjaro with a with a yeah. crew, so they loved it. But even on the topic of like traveling, like I actually went to Alaska this year. Uh, just for four days. I didn't climb, but I obviously I went to Denali National Park and uh, so cool, man. Like even just walking. It's a nice up, scenery. It's a beautiful place. Like, and, and to your point, the one thing I've actually been observing more so recently is like, you know, when you travel to Europe, it's a beautiful place. You admire architecture. Obviously, there's history behind it, all that good stuff. But a lot of it is is also human made. You know what I mean? Like the architecture that you're admiring is very different than when you're in nature and you're admiring like a mountain in front of you. They're two right. very different things. And and for you, like, do you find that being out in nature is, is more fulfilling? Honestly, George, I wouldn't, I, I can't explain the, just the view from the mountains when you cross the clouds and then you see the sun and the views of the, of the landscape beneath you. I mean, it's magical, honestly. So it's indescribable. You, you were also saying like when you, when you remember, I was telling you, like, I saw that picture of you uh, on top of Everest. Would you say it was yeah. more fulfilling climbing Everest versus reaching it or reaching it versus climbing it? I say again, I, I didn't hear well. Like w- when you were at the top of Everest, when yeah. you finished the hike, everything was done, you made it safely, you're taking a picture. Were you more, minus obviously feeling the frostbite in your fingers, minus the pain there, but yeah. did, you feel, did you feel more fulfilled climbing versus being at the top or being at the top versus climbing? I mean, climbing uh, more because it's, uh, it's 60 days versus like the moment you, you reach the summit. So mm-hmm. it's like 95% of your time climbing and then like small time reaching the summit. This took me honestly seven, seven minutes. That's the duration of my stay on the summit. And then I started heading down. Wow. Uh, I want to I say something for the people listening. When we climb Everest, when I say like 60 days, I'm climbing the mountain, it doesn't necessarily mean like 60, 60 days I'm doing like climbing and moving from camp to camp. So we do a lot of rest. And uh, most of our time is like spending the day in the tent, doing nothing, uh, resting our bodies, getting enough food, you know. So from 60 days, I would say like 35 days were rest in base camp waiting for the right weather and uh, getting in food and resting our bodies. So it's uh, basically a, cha- a game of time, of patience. Mm. That's really, that's, I think there's a lot of lessons there too. You know, because they, they always compare, like if you look at leadership principles and business and whatever, they always compare uh, Everest, right? Like climbing the, the top of the mountain and getting there. and um, Exactly. It's a mix of different challenges of time and patience and uh, mental fitness and... Uh, physical fitness as well yeah because when you say like okay well i was only there for seven minutes to me like as soon as you get there i'm assuming you're feeling like a a mix of relief joy 
you know you exactly what you what you worked for the entire like year or like since 2013 paid off honestly but i wouldn't say like, that you, you need to get back down right because you reached the summit but you need to back get back down safely yeah well like in, in those seven minutes when you first got there what was the first thing you felt was it Honestly, relief? as you said it relief exactly because uh, all, all all the work paid off all the effort paid off and uh, on Everest, it's it's very risky i mean every second in your expedition is risky from avalanche you know something like let's say you you uh you prepared for this expedition for like three four months before in mm-hmm. advance and you paid the entire fees and uh, uh, it took you like three, uh, two months in your from your life, and mm. one mistake can cost you the expedition or even your life. So right. let's say let's say uh, you were uh, you were uh, climbing from camp one to camp two in the icefall, and your crampon broke. So f- I mean your expedition is over. Or let's say you were taking off your gloves, your heavy mitten gloves, and taking a picture, and then the wind blew your gloves away. Your expedition is over. You know any tiny mistake can cost can cost you an expedition or even your life. There's no place over there you can buy new mittens or new crampons. Mm-hmm. So yeah, minus the equipment, there's the crevasses, there's the avalanches, there's the risk of everything. So yeah, when I reached the summit, I was like, oh, like fifty percent, even like seventy percent of the risk is gone. There's only now going back down safely to base camp, and then everything is over. I have two questions for you on this. Do you ever? Because I'm sure you watched the uh, the movie Free Solo, Alex Honnold. I'm yeah. Just- yeah, right. the, the one they're climbing. Yeah, yeah, and and because he was asked, like, do you ever think of, you know, the the risk, like when you're climbing with no rope, one tiny mistake, you're basically screwed. And he's like, well, listen, I have to think about it because any sane person would would not climb. Like, if you don't have any ounce of fear, it it's not a good thing either. But he's like, I've done this so many times that I've I've been able to uh, suppress almost the, exactly. the emotion, right. And just so focus in order to, for him to do it, like without rope, he's done it like maybe a thousand of times and just memorized throughout. So is that kind of the same thing you would say that runs in your mind? Like you're, you're aware of the danger, but you don't let it over overtake you almost. I mean, I haven't tried climbing Everest before, but like in my mind, yeah, I would have expected the the uh, the risk, the time, the effort it needed. The, the uh, Yeah, I would say I've run it through my mind before that. That was a that's how I was mentally ready for the expedition. Was it easier climbing up or coming down? Uh, honestly, for me, it was easier climbing up because when I was going down, uh, although the climbing up was uh, climbing through dark and then coming back down was through the day because we mm. start our expedition, our summit uh, attack at 8 p.m. and then we reached the summit at sunrise. So it was a bit colder, but honestly, for for my in my experience, I had the frostbite. So going down, I was going down with one hand and the other was just uh, roped to my chest. I couldn't use it because it was full numb and I didn't know the condition of my fingers. Yeah, so, yeah. Right, because you can't take off your gloves to check on your exactly, hand. Exactly, exactly. So maybe if you ask another Everest climber, he would say like going up for sure. But for me, I would say going back down. What did you do when, you, when, you, when the whole group, you know, you, you were saying that your Lebanese friends, what, what did you all do when, as soon as you came down the summit? You're finally at base camp. What did you? What was the first thing you did? Like honestly, drink- we were divided. So, because uh, you know, our company divided us into two groups. So, one group we summited on the 22nd, and the other 23rd. And when we started our summit attack, each one started his climb with his own Sherpa. So we weren't climbing in a group. So we had one-on-one guide, and each one had his own pace. 
So when I got back to my tent, I wasn't I wasn't with my Lebanese friends. Okay. Uh, and then I had the condition of my frostbite, so I was advised just to head back down directly to camp two, and then have the night over there, and then sleep back, uh, and then sleep and head the next day to base camp and check it there at the ER. So uh, what do you so do for yeah, your tent? Like, do you put it in warm water? Like what? What? what the... I mean. T- I was thankful like I had like uh, the second degree so it wasn't that severe but it was like filled with bubbles so I was just like putting some uh, creams and then just taking some uh, I think uh, antibiotic for it that's Mm. it so I hadn't I didn't do anything specifically for my for my first but it wasn't that severe. Got you, got you. And I'm assuming when you called your parents, they were overly happy to hear that. Honestly, you... I didn't tell them of the frostbite. So once I got back to Lebanon, uh, I told them I didn't want to mm-hmm. like cause. Uh, Man, you know. as a, if you told your your mom, as an assuming mom, she would take she take a helicopter and come to you right away. She right? would have gone crazy. <laughs> but honestly, 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 from reaching the summit to reaching base camp, it took me like two days. So I was going back down super fast. Just want to check the fingers. That's why answering your question, I wasn't able to see my friends, and we, I saw them back in Beirut when I got back to Beirut. Mm. Wow, man, that's uh, that's crazy. So, right now you were saying you have one summit left. Is that what you're what you're training for now? Like, so that- yeah, I've I've been doing triathlons, uh, Ironmans recently, just keeping up my trainings, in and Lebanon? hopefully, uh, no, I've been traveling. I did the last one in November in uh, Turkey, okay. the half Ironman. And uh, yeah, hopefully next November or December, I'm planning to do Mount Vincent in Antarctica. I mean, if I'm working on my sponsorship and if I get sponsored, because honestly, Antarctica, it's also, it's going to cost me like 40K for the expedition. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's uh, mostly about the logistics about it in Antarctica. That's what it's... Because you can't, uh, you can't really just like fly direct. Obviously, you have to take like... No, a, you go to Chile and from Chile, they take you to this army plane and then fly you to the Antarctica continent. So, But that's such a cool experience, man. Like when are you ever It's a very do nice experience. I know. Wow. Well, this is phenomenal, man. I, I wanted to ask you before we end this, just to be careful of your time is um, what advice would you have? And I always like to end this with this kind of uh, question, but... Uh, you know, given what you're doing, both on the adventure side, but even kind of your personal growth and always uh, trying to trying to improve yourself, like what advice would you give to someone listening right now or maybe things yeah. you've learned? I would say like if, if it wasn't, if it were for me, I wouldn't have gone and listened to my friend who invited me over for this trip in Kilimanjaro. And I experienced Kilimanjaro and tried so different mountains. So try something new and uh, work on it whatever whatever you have in life whatever goal you have just work mm-hmm. on it be patient so patience is a really uh, good thing to have amazing well thanks so much honestly for- honestly on Everest, if i didn't have patience i wouldn't have made it to the summit i would have returned back home and i wanted to be with my parents and family mm. but i'm sure it pays off eventually right like that patience. yeah yeah definitely got you got you well thank you so much man this was thank uh, you george for having me I'm so happy we did this, and, and honestly, this was a, a really cool talk. I think I asked everything I could about uh, climbing mountains, and the one thing I'm happy about is the internet didn't cut out. I know you're on 3G, yeah. <laughs> and, but that, I'm, I'm like, this is a miracle, man. This never happens. So, yeah, uh, we're used to it, honestly. Well, hey, man, we, we wish you the best. I hope the, the new summit uh, is successful for you, and you keep representing Lebanon in the best way possible. I uh, wish you the best. Thank brother. you.
Thank you, George. Thank you. Have a great day.